it makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, you know, if, if you think one-on-one with swimsuits is a little bit intimate, I think one-on-one without swimsuits is even more intimate. Yeah, the, 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 old, the old timers can sometimes let it all hang out, the operable word being hang. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Welcome back to the Abraham's Wallet Podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. It's good to be back. I have a question. I have a question to start out this week, and we've been talking about eldership, and I'm going to kind of get to to that and why why this is related. But okay, you know that I've been rehabbing some injuries in the gym. Yeah, I've been doing some swimming. Yep, and next to the swimming pool, there's a sauna at my gym. Oh, I like a sauna. It's a little bit uncomfortably intimate. It's kind of like sitting in a bathtub with strangers. It's kind of weird. But um, I think of a sauna at, say, I'm at a nice hotel on a work trip or something. And they've got a fancy spa-ish workout slash pool area. And they might have a sauna in there. You know what I love to do? I love to get in there. And read a magazine while I'm sweating to the oldies. That's what I like. But huh. and be and, and and another thing, you know, this is sort of a side topic, but you know, most most hotel gyms are unused. They're 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 one of these things that's it's like a that's it's true. a decoration that they say, Oh, we've got a gym and no one ever uses it. And so if you ever run across you're in one of these closet sized gyms they call them you go in there there's another person there it's like oh uh what are you doing here i uh uh and you expect to be completely alone in there i feel this way about the sauna if there's someone else in there if there's another person in there zero percent chance i'm going in if there's five people in there i might go in there because now it feels like a public place where we can all sit quietly and Hmm. sweat and consider i don't know the the shape of the world but uh yeah, I like the idea of getting in there well, and sweating. Been, it's been a new thing for me. Um, I don't use. It, I don't think I've ever saunaed until a few oh, weeks no. ago, and now I've been, I've been visiting the sauna four times a week just because I've got some extra time when I'm at the gym that I'm not working. So out your willingness to sauna is related to your burgeoning relationship with the pool. Is that true? Yeah, I would say so. I've learned, so I was traveling last week. I was in Austin, Texas at the Hilton, and they had one of these hotel gyms. And I thought you were at a, I thought you were at like noticed, a big fancy B&B, like an Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was there a day early to spend some time with our clients. Oh, um, okay. And I, uh, they had a sauna in the men's locker room, and I'll tell you, I don't like that. Uh, because the sauna at my gym, it's right next to the pool and it's co-ed, um, which I don't, I, I think it's pretty rare that you find a lady in that sauna. <laughs> yeah. But 
just the fact that it's co-ed means everyone's going to be wearing pants. Oh, um, I see. And I just don't, I don't know, but sort of, I thought about how this relates to elders and it seems like there's some elder men <laughs> who are willing to sit down in the sauna just as naked as the day they were born. And they're born. very comfortable with their bodies. It, they're not trying to impress anybody. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, you know, if, if you think one-on-one with swimsuits is a little bit intimate, I think one-on-one without swimsuits is even more intimate. Yeah, the, the, the old the old timers can sometimes let it all hang out, the operable word being hang. That being said, if you're at a church community, maybe, where maybe this happens a lot in Utah, there's just a bunch of young people. There's not any gray hairs around. Okay. Um, I would suggest building a sauna and a men's locker room at your church because my experience is that really quickly that sauna will fill up with naked old guys and some of them might be elder candidates. You're saying it's like a geezer magnet. You're saying saunas are like a geezer magnet. That's my experience. I don't know. We could take calls from the listeners on this. Maybe it's just here. It might, it might, it might pull homeless geezers in, but maybe not the kind of godly church leaders you're really looking for. You don't care. Whatever. I don't know. I, I haven't had spiritual conversations. I'm okay. usually distracted by I didn't know you were going trying there. not to look away. You're going to suggest it's a way to increase the intimacy among the men at the church is just put a sauna in the largest men's bathroom in the church, which is... No. No, I don't think that would work because there's this dance you do in the sauna with with other people like you've already kind of referenced and it's you want to not make it so obvious that you're looking away but you also don't want to make too much eye contact it's like we're all alone together yes. in this thing oh you're there oh i didn't see you sitting there for the last 30 minutes oh i didn't i don't know yeah that's true but i like a so song. anyways what, what are we going to talk about this week well we're going to continue our little series on um Home is church, and we talked about how um, the way that we lead our homes, there is a one-to-one relationship with the life of a pastor and a potential elder with what happens under your own roof. So we look at the biblical descriptions of elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and we see those as, um, well, they're a description of a great father. They're a description of a spiritual family leader who can be trusted. So you referenced um, this this group that you're hanging around with, um, trying to find out what you guys think about the way that you do church or where where a church should be. Or I would say that it's becoming more and more clear to us that now is probably not the time for us to plant a new church meeting that happens on the regular here. Well, that's, that's newsworthy. Um, So feeling led to not do something is often as important as feeling led to do something. So what's, what's led you to that conclusion? I had a moment maybe three weeks ago where I was just, I was really fired up about this church planting idea. Um, 
I was, there was a business that came across my desk that I thought, man, I should buy that business and run that in addition to the business I'm running oh my. now. And um, I'm doing all sorts of stuff with the school board that I'm on. And so I was, I was going a million miles an hour. And I kind of said something to my wife like, man, sometimes I just feel like I'm almost manic. And she says, no, I've looked up the symptoms of that and you don't have them all. But oh my, <laughs> I kind of went, really? I was joking. It occurred babe. to and her. She said it had occurred to her. Is he? And she said, no, don't worry. You're not. Uh, you're just trying to do too many things at once. So let's quit doing all of them except the ones we're sure about. And fair. It was it was uh, kind of funny and kind of sad, and also she was correct that that we needed to really focus in on growing the business that you and I are working on right now, um, and eliminating distractions uh, as much as possible. Uh, that being said, we still have to meet with other believers. That's part yes. of how we live as Christians, and. Um, We've been doing that. So we've been meeting with a, a church that's um, about 15 minutes from the house. Actually, this weekend, we will be having Shabbat with one of the families there. Oh, good. Uh, tonight and then tomorrow night, we will be going to the head pastor's house for making pizzas, which he does every Saturday. And I'm excited about both of okay, those. Okay, great. Well, I, I you're reminding me uh, as you're talking about potentially actually throwing your lot in with a local church organization. Um, I teach a um, culture class. And in that culture class, I take some time to explain to people the kingdom of God and the eternal culture of the eternal kingdom and how that's contrasted to temporal cultures and kingdoms that we're around all the time. And we can often try to overlay our culture into the way that we see the kingdom of God, which is an incorrect practice. And one of the little tests that you can do is say, if it's been true for all believers through all time, that might be an indication that we're talking about kingdom culture. Now, there's I mean, I'm I'm just saying, obviously, it's going to come from Scripture. But we can think, well, the way that we express Scripture is the right way. And so you might think, well, everybody should be at a air-conditioned church house on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And there's a paid person and we go listen to them because that's the way we do it. And then all you have to do is do the simple exercise. Would that have held for all believers around the world right now? Would that have held for believers 300 years ago? No? Okay, then it's not kingdom culture. So if it's something like, well, we all have to put our faith that Jesus died and that he has a substitute sacrifice. Okay, that's for all believers in all time, any location. That's a fact. That one will wash. But it's very easy for us to think that the way that we do church life is the way that it should be. And the funny thing is we can get to, into all sorts of forms of pride and shame and guilt, whether we even meet our own standards of how we think it's supposed to go. Now, that I'd said all that to say um, it's totally great that you guys want to go to an organization 
and go, this will be our meeting place for sitting under God's word, for relating to other families, um, and I hope um, gathering a deeper spiritual community than people that you sit beside to watch a little watch a little presentation weekly. I'll tell you the truth is as we've been navigating this this path with trying to figure out where we're supposed to be connected, we take Matthew 18 and church discipline and the elders role and all that very seriously around our family. And so we're really thoughtful about what what elders are we going to actually put ourselves under the authority of mm-hmm. at some level uh, in in church community. And I, I don't think that has to be a local 501c3 organization, but here in Utah where we have not nearly as many believers as most places, that's a really good place to find a gathering right. of, of believers. Um, and... I have been on an elder team at a local church uh, and seen that really explode. Uh, And I've also been kind of watching elders very closely at these other places we were considering. And it was a big part of our decision was what is the leadership or the potential leadership looking like? So I'm just curious if you have thoughts on how to evaluate um, who you're considering putting your family underneath their authority. Whew. Well, what I what I hear you asking is how do you navigate your relationship with a with an organization? Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about it a lot, but I feel like we're dealing with questions like, well, we've seen leaders in over, over here not lead well, but they're people who we respect as as humans, they're good people, but we don't see great leadership. We've also seen places where we go, man, we love the way that leadership is happening over here, but we have some big theological differences. Um, And maybe the perfect scenario exists for some of our listeners. Maybe there's people out there going, well, we just found great leaders that met all the qualifications (laughs) and we aligned with them perfectly. That doesn't exist as far as I'm aware of in my town. So we're going to have to sort of rank order what is the most important thing when you're looking for um, for local elders? And this could be true if you're appointing them in your community or if you're thinking about joining a group of believers that's already led by elders. Yeah, the reason that I described um, the kingdom culture versus local culture is because, uh, and I'm gonna, I, I think what I'm going to say is a kingdom culture statement. I would never go to a local um, church house, go to a couple of uh, Sunday meetings, go, uh, I like the way this guy talks, and then um, join that thing and then say, that guy is my spiritual leader. And um, I consider him an elder in my life. He now has the right to speak into my life. I always think about uh, the verse in Hebrews 13, it's verse 17. It says, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, when I hear that verse, I don't think of the guy standing at the front on Sunday mornings. And here's why. He doesn't keep watch over my soul. So my soul, as I understand it biblically, is my mind, my will, and my emotions. 
that guy doesn't even know my name. I, I, I went to a huge uh, church growing up. I left uh, Houston when I was about 18 and, and I was very active in everything they offered. I don't think the guy at the front knew my name. Um, he wasn't keeping watch over my soul. He might have been keeping watch over the doctrine that he taught. Bless him for that. He was supposed to do that. But he doesn't, how could he keep watch over my soul? He doesn't know that my foibles. He doesn't know uh, my misgivings. He doesn't know my concerns. He doesn't know what I'm responsible for and the lies that I tell myself, etc. He doesn't know me. So the people that I would submit my life to and say, you can correct me at your leisure, which I'll say at one time, you should have those people. And two, it's a very heavy thing to have those people. It's, it should like really worry you and make you nervous to invite somebody into that role in your life. Um, so I, I would say you'd have to have a pretty unusual situation and be very close to the head guy. And by the way, some, some seminaries teach the guy in the front, they actively teach him, don't get close to your, the people in your congregation because then you'll play, what? because then you'll play favorites. Don't, don't get too close to them. You should stay removed. You should spend your time in Bible study. You should appear. You should, you know, come down out of a, a glass orb on Sunday mornings, speak forth the things you've learned from the scriptures and then go back away again. And so, yeah, there are people there. There are seminaries that teach don't become close and good friends with the people that you quote pastor. Uh, which I would think is demonic. Anyhow, my so my t my thinking. I want people who look into my life. Okay, and and the best place to practice this is in your friendships and start ASAP. Actually, go to your close friends. We've talked about having a, a group of guys that you trust and tell them, guys, I want to live like Jesus, and I know that my perspective on my own life is not objective. And so I invite you to speak into my life the things that you see that are uh, problematic, that are unchristlike, etc. Just just please just speak up. I'm just inviting you to speak up. Just make that a habit. Famous verse Proverbs 27:17 as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. That means that we are clanging against each other violently smashing into one another and we knock off the dull edges we knock off the rust and we make each other razor sharp for the lord so i want guys around me that do that so i invite that um, i'll also say on the other side of that i'm very reluctant to try to take that place in somebody else's life even if they say they want it <laughs> i have found over time people who say that they want it and people who can actually receive it are sometimes two different groups. So we just have to be gracious. We have to be, we have to move with perspicuity into like going, I'm going to be very careful. I don't know if the guy can receive this or not. I'm going to, I'm going to couch things in a way that um, he can receive. But I, I, I want, I want to be cultivating a, a culture of friendship of guys who go like, um, hey, you smell like smoke. I, th I thought you I thought you said you were going to stop smoking. Why do you smell like smoke? 
and just say that. Say it out loud. So what you're describing here is great. It's friendship yeah, uh, and community in the body. It's not... Uh, it's not elder no as described in the scriptures no i'm trying to give guys an on-ramp because what i'm going to describe is so foreign to most people they can't imagine having this kind of relationship so i'm just saying practice that in 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 places that are at your arm's length already in in your good friendships practice it to me eldership for someone to be an elder in my life is someone that i have strategically and thoughtfully said, I submit my life to your review. I, I put, I open my life to you. And I not only want you to present God's word to me, uh, I want you to be able to fulfill this um, Hebrews 13, 17 passage. I want you to have a window into my soul, the way that I work. That means that I'm not just going to confess sin to you one time. I'll be confessing sin to you many times over time. And so, for you to be have an elder role in my life means that you could correct marriage things in me. That means you have insight into me and my wife. You kind of know the place that we've come from uh, doctrinally or theologically. And you go, well, you know, you guys are a little bit charismatic. And so you think this and this. And um, Michael O is somebody who's been like that in, in my uh, past. Who is, he's very familiar with where I come from. He knows me very well. He knows my wife. He knows some of my close friends. He's been an important teacher in my life. So what I'm saying is that an an elder role uh, is nearly a discipler role. It is a pastor-shepherd role. And um, just because an organization calls someone an elder does not mean that in the kingdom they are an elder. That's obviously true because there's a whole bunch of buildings with steeples uh, on them in your town and a bunch of goofs that are running around with elder and pastor and executive pastor and teaching minister and all this stuff next to their titles. And it's not it's not true. Yeah, that that makes sense. I guess where what's tripping me up is through all the passages that even use the word elder there seems to be, it's not like these were the elders for Paul and these were the elders for his buddy Barnabas and these were the elders that so-and-so had set up in their lives. There were elders that were known to the town. Yes. So Paul, you know, in Titus 1, 5, it says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And to me, that suggests that this this role is going to be bigger than Stephen's personal mentors that he considers to have an elder role in his life. It's actually um, sort of city government in the church. Yes. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, even, even in Acts, as I'm looking through the different scriptures, there's places where something was sent to the elders um, from Paul, uh, you know, uh, so that tells me these were known to the broader community of believers. They weren't just personal appointments. Yes, yes. But the building blocks for this group of city fathers, Jeremy Pryor talks about city fathers a lot, and I really like that discussion. I like that phrase. I wish we fought about it more often. Certainly the the, the um, requirements, the the 
prerequisite for being considered a city father is that as we've said, one, you run a household well for Jesus Christ, and it and everybody can smell that. That's undebatable. Two, you have you have shepherded others in such a way that there is a reputation everywhere for you that this is a man who can be trusted with God's word. He can also be trusted with people. That means that, you know, when there's a lot of correction to do. You can do it gracefully in such a way that you don't wound people and you're patient with people and you're grace giving, but you stand on truth, etc. Michael O'Shields is a good example um, of somebody who I have received from. Um, our friend Mark Douglas has um, a lot of people in Texas that we know. Michael comes to town. He comes to Cincinnati under the auspices of me. And many, many people receive from him as an elder, um, but they don't have they didn't they didn't have a personal relationship with him. They, th- he, he came, um, he, he was trusted as a broader authority because of my relationship with him and the relationship I have with a bunch of other people. So to me, that's how a city fathering relationship can work, which is these guys are vetted guys. They're, they each have, I mean, I don't know how big this is, but they each have some crowd of people who trust them and they have um, a clear track record. And these are the these are the graybeards. And we we want them together to to rule and to make judgments for the kingdom. I think that's I think that's how it would work if we were healthy cities once again, is that we wouldn't be just siloed into our little church clubs, but that out of each community, maybe there would emerge one or two or three leaders from each place. Um, and eventually everything everything would stem up into, well, these, these are our leading men who have who've proven themselves, and we want them together to be a, a, a conference of some kind. Yeah, I... I want to build gates for my city just so that when I'm old, I have a chance to stand at the gates <laughs> and uh, just talk to the old guys that, that love Jesus too. Yeah, right. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. So, okay, I think I, I'm tracking with where you're going. These these city fathers, that's kind of what we would see in total health. Um, right now, uh, I think it would be fair to say if you're considering putting yourself in a group of, of believers, uh, which is something we're considering, um, you should at least look at the, the folks that they have called out as their uh, elder. Oh, elder yes, you should. And, and make some, some evaluations of these people based on how well they have stuck with the, the commands of Scripture when they appointed those yes. fellows. Yes, I, I think the point that I'm trying to make, and I know it all sounds very uh, slow and organic because I'm kind of basically talking about kind of like disciple maker shepherds, um, and, and, and that can feel like it doesn't apply to, well, I just went and sh- I went at the first Methodist and I just, what do, you, what do you expect from me? I just sat in there in service and trying to decide if we like this guy. I, I'm, all I'm saying is I think in the purity of the kingdom, these men emerge from decades worth of relationships where they prove themselves. 
I believe this was Jesus talking in Matthew 11, um, where he says wisdom is proved right by its actions or, or wisdom is personified as a woman. Wisdom is proved right by her children. Wisdom, wisdom is justified by her children. So th- these, are, these are men who, who we know through decades of relationships, these are godly, capable, leading men. We would also have had access to their, we've seen their family. We've seen how it's developed, how they did or didn't go off track. We've seen how they've run their business life. We know that they're financially stable, etc. Again, I'm just talking about the qualifications of, um, of, of 1 Timothy 3. Um, and, and I, I, my desire is that people, when they, when they come into a community, whether it is a house church group, it might just be a group of bros that get coffee together it, or, or an official organization, the first central Baptist church that we think the same way about all of these things. Like we're looking for, we're looking for leadership that's proven over time where there's uh, the fruit of disciples, um, always always look for grandchildren. Look for somebody who makes p- disciples who make disciples, and go. Well, who who are those people? I want to I want to find those people. And if you're in a town of a thousand, there might be one or two guys like that. Man, again, throw yourself around their legs, and say I'm going where you're going. Um, so I, I just want to make the distinction between, well, just go to a good church where they teach the Bible. And, and when you called out what the leadership is like, that means everything. And, and, and you mentioned uh, last week about um, um, differences of doctrine. And honestly, that's one thing that we look for in leaders is, are they gracious enough to allow for a difference in doctrine on things that are not central things? Can I mean I really believe in um, praying in tongues, but how gracious am I uh, about people who don't? Like I don't I don't think that's what the scripture means when it says speaking unintelligible words. Okay, I mean if you're a dogmatic, mean-hearted shepherd, you're going to smack anybody who gets out of line in any way. But a, a gracious mature leader would go, you know, what really matters is that we end up looking like Jesus and we walk in his love and truth together. So on these debatable matters, we're not going to make a mountain out of a molehill. I think that's an important thing where, because as you just said, we're not going to line up 100% maybe with anybody. And so we, we've got to find people who there there's, they believe in some truth, but they also have grace that they can do give and take with, with other believers. Uh, you said a few things that that made me kind of go, oh, um, I mean, one of the qualifications for being an elder is that you run your household well, but we also know you can be single and be an elder. So how does that work? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, as I think I've said, I'm trying to spend time in the pastoral epistles this year. And so I'm I'm looking into the fact that Paul would have been considered um, more than an elder, an apostle who appoints elders. So whenever he stepped into town, he generally outranked everybody because he would walk around and just go like, I have the heart. 
I have the heart of the Lord, so I'll tell you elders if you're right or wrong. And he did that in, in uh, circumstances like the Corinthian church, where he's like, um, sorry, elders, whoever's running this church, you're all messed up. Um, and he was a single man. So w- uh, all I can say about that is he's the one that wrote that you have to be a leader of a family, a successful leader of a family before you can be an elder. I, I suppose there are exceptions to this. The American tendency is to put all of our emphasis on the exceptions. And it seems to be the overwhelming rule. And, and he did not write in an exception so that he would have been accepted as an elder. I have to point that out. He wrote it and he didn't say, except if you're like me. He just wrote, you would be the family leader, a husband of a wife, children who are respectful and obedient and are walking in God's ways. So um, we should, I, I think, at the very least, have a raised eyebrow about a single man who is put into a position of eldership at the very, very least. Well, I, I would be comfortable with somebody saying we should outlaw it altogether and say that um, Paul is the radical exception because he's a um, an apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. Um I don't know that we can go that far, but I would say it's supposed to be well outside of the norm, as Paul himself taught us. So that, that's what I would say to that. Gotcha. Okay, so um, now here's something that you've smelled around a lot more in your uh, years in Salt Lake City than I ever have in my life, which is watching the eldership machinery crumble. Um, for for reasons of not honoring biblical standards. Could you enlighten us on a little of that scene? Yeah, well, we, we were a part of a church here for 10 years that was planted, and there was good things about it, there was bad things about it, but uh, that was kind of our community for sure. Um that was where we had people who knew us deeply, uh, who could do exactly what you were talking about at the start of this episode, uh, correct us. It turns out that the guy who was the head pastor was one of the types of people in my life who did know me the best. Right. Um, so that was kind of u- unique and it was great. It all checked off. Um, yeah. I loved to, to get taught by him and, he was also very, very much interested in being taught by me and our family. And so, um, things were great. And, um, they asked me to be on the elder team there. Uh, I said no sort of for a couple of years <laughs> because, um, of what we just talked about. I said, well, I don't know if I've proven myself with kids yet. Um, and we talked about that and said, well, there is also this command to appoint elders and we don't have anybody around here that meets that qualification. So we could talk about that too. I'm still not sure about that one um, is, do you have to have grown children? Um, but uh, long story short, I agreed to serve in this role at the church, which may or may not have anything to do with what you were describing on the city father front. But it was our job to kind of shepherd the doctrine of the church, the direction of the church, um, 
the head guy, even though he was one of the elders, would step out of the, the room at least once a year and we would decide if he was still the guy. Um, so he reported to the elder team. And um, what I noticed is that there was, over time, people added to this crew, both before I came and people who had come and gone before I was ever a part of it, and people who came after I came, who were really uh, good people that did not meet the qualifications. Mm. Um, And the fruit of that was rough. I mean, people, there was an elder on the team that doesn't identify as a believer anymore. Oh, my word. Um, There were all sorts of kind of major issues in households that came up. Why, um, before you get any farther, why do you think those people were were put onto that board? Um, I think that there was a sense of, hey, we like these people. We know that I can't speak to the what happened before I was there because I actually don't even really know that guy. Um, but in terms of the people that were appointed after I was there. There was a reluctancy to say, no, they have not proven themselves on X, Y, or Z front. Um, and there was a lot of, well, we know that they're, they're always around, they're volunteering, they're good good guys. Um, and, you know, I, I was hanging out with a guy here in Utah a few weeks ago, and he started going, he's a pastor of a church and he started going through his list of questions for elders and he's like they can be my best friend they still have to answer all these questions and he had some kooky stuff one of the things (laughs) he said is i always ask elder candidates is if slavery is such a horrible sin that we think it's kind of one of the worst things we can imagine modern day slavery or any slavery um why doesn't the bible tell people not to do it and I said, oh, okay, are you kind of going down a Doug Wilson path there? And he said, no, I'm actually not. And I don't have an answer I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is, will this guy appeal to his interpretation ah. of the scriptures when he answers a hard cultural question? Or will he say, because it seems like it's just uh, obviously not in, the, in line right. with the general spirit of things, will he be able to point to the scriptures? Wow. And how does he handle it with... And I thought, that's genius, and I've never done that as I've considered people for eldership. So I've never grilled someone (laughs) the way that, frankly, having seen what I've seen uh, now, I would just say, I'm going to find out if you appeal to your feelings and what seems right based on the cultural milieu, or are you really capable at handling the scriptures well? Um, Because... Because like you said, we're going to disagree on theological stuff for sure. Um, And there is a line that I would draw and say, if you go over this one, then your interpretations of scripture are not okay with me. Like, I don't want to be under your leadership. Um, But I could could come up with all sorts of questions where we would be looking, not are you going to answer it the way I would answer it, but... Where are you running for your answers? Yeah, and that's great. It 
it's pretty rare, I think, now to find people who do that. So we never did any of this stuff. We just found guys that seemed like good guys. They were at the men's stuff. They were serving at the church. Um, they had been believers for a long time. Uh, and said, these seem like good fellas. Let's have them join the team. Um, so one, one guy has walked away the, from the Lord. That's right. And the church, this church, what, long story short, the lead pastor, God very clearly called somewhere else and he obeyed uh, God and went to that place. Um, one of the other elders was, uh, I would just say he decided to move back to be near family. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and uh, before too long, I found myself in a group of guys who... Um, I really didn't agree with on some of the most core things. So after a few months of fighting and deciding uh, this wasn't productive, I, I had to resign. And very shortly thereafter, the church started down a path of, of um, being led not by the elders at all, but by the staff and really walking into some major theological uh uh, error, uh, which they mm. persist in to this day. And uh, the, thus, the ch- choosing of elders is a uh, and, and identifying where they stand is uh, much more important to you now than it was then. That's right. I mean, there were things that just that experience, <laughs> and I have to say, like, I have responsibility for sure in this because I thought. Oh, what's the church's doctrine when it comes to women in ministry? For example, that was always a hot button issue at this church. Um, and I thought, well, does it really matter as long as like we, we have a position that, that seems to align to the scriptures, um, that says men should be elders. And, you know, there was kind of nuances there that I just thought, oh, that's for the theology nerds to figure out. Well, it actually does matter that your elders can explain, with conviction where you stand on kind of how you're going to interpret those types of controversial scriptures. Yep. Um, this one isn't, this one isn't controversial, but it's culturally controversial. Yep. Um, and if I had kind of been able to redo all of those things and just have those conversations again, I think what I would really have my antenna up for is, is this person trying to get as close as they're allowed to, to what's culturally acceptable? Mm. Or are they honestly approaching the scripture? And I don't believe uh, that people honestly approach the scriptures and come out looking kind of a certain way on a lot of this stuff. Uh, We've talked a lot about having a relationship with elders in your life, identifying elders to lead a, to lead a group, a congregation. Told your story about um, being a... Um, unusually young elder and the experience and that experience of, of watching it kind of unfold and where your heart is. So before you, we move on, Stephen, yeah. I got to ask, in light of all this stuff, do you think people can go to a church or, you know, serve at a church or even maybe be employed by a church and not be in submission to the elders? Do you think that's a tenable position uh, that's a, a very good question and i think that confusion over this issue 
is what leads people into guilt giving. So I attend this place. Let's go back to my earlier reference at my great big church I grew up in. I go to this place. I have some friends here. I kind of like the guy up front says. And then suddenly on some, some meeting, they'll talk about, now this is your church home. The Bible says that we're supposed to give to those who uh, keep watch over us. You have to give here. This is your spiritual home. You have to, and there, there's all sorts of spiritual implications that churches do um, to, to, to put you on the hook. And the funny thing is, it has how seldom they do the, they do the work that they're supposed to do, which we're, we're called to do as, as shepherds and disciplers. But they want to put you on the hook to do the thing that you're supposed to do. So here's what I think. The, now, I'm, I'm going to talk crassly about the modern church scene, which is just put your butt in this big auditorium. Come see the show. Get out of here. Don't bother us again. But give up. Be sure to leave your money on the way out the door. If that is the situation and you like the show. And you think the little show, the little program that happens at the front, whether they have moving lights or not, you like the little show there and you feel like it is of spiritual value. It's like to you reading an author that you, I like this author. I trust this guy. I'm going to go back and, and read his next book because I can see his heart and what he writes. And that's how you feel about your thing. You can do that. You can do it as a consumer. It's your choice. And you can go to that meeting and just go, I like what they do there. And if you want to support it, yeah, it does take something to keep the lights on in here. And right, you can give some money. There's a, there's a, to me, there is a huge difference between doing that, going like, I kind of like this show. I want the, I want the show to keep going. I know it costs money to run their amps. I'll put some money in the machine. You can do that. To me, there's a huge difference between doing that and, and spiritually submitting yourself to that thing. Again, these are people I don't know. They don't know me. I hope over the years you would find some people that you're connected to. But to me, and, and I know I know you didn't ask a question about money, but I'm getting into money because it follows what you're asking, which is um, spiritual submission. I think that money follows spiritual submission. So... Um, I can give money for practical reasons just because I like the show. I think that we are assigned to give money to our elders and disciple makers. Galatians 6, 6 says the one who's taught the message must share all good things with the teacher. Now that feels like a weird way to say it, but from what I understand, this was commonly understood to mean, hey, the people that give you spiritual teaching, you should give them money for it. I know that sounds super crass to our American ears. We can't stand that idea. Um, but we want to support the people who there's another there's another uh, verse that says the people who make it their business to distribute the word should be supported so that they're free to do that. So the we do that already, don't we? We do that with authors. Um, we do that if you have to, I don't know, buy a TV show by somebody that you <clears throat> respect, some some podcast, charge money. Not, not here. 
not here at Abraham's Wallet. We don't even have a we don't even have a Patreon. No, no, there, there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Even if you wanted to give us money, I don't know how you would do it. But the point is, um, spiritual leadership usually has money that flows with it, and I believe it seems obvious to me that you could just go along to a show. You could go every week and not be in spiritual submission to it, but you should be in spiritual submission to someone, or you should be at least praying, God, would you reveal my teachers to me? Would you reveal those people who, who are supposed to have oversight into my life? And one of the ways that you demonstrate that submission, I see scripturally, is that you give money. This, this goes, this is really not even about the tithe. It goes way back to Abraham meeting Melchizedek. He submitted to him and he gave him money um, just as a blessing, like to recognize, wow, you are a priest of, of the nth degree. I, I recognize your authority and I want to submit to you. And so he gives him money. So I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds crass. But anyways, I, so my short answer to your question is, yes, I think you can you can hang around an organization and not actually submit to it. And, and, and I'll just say this for any church staff people out there. I think it's very wise to parse out where you're in organizational submission. Of course, you should be in submission to your boss, the person that is your boss. But you should be in submission to them from a work standpoint. And we should parse that out to spiritual submission. So if you're a janitor at a church... It doesn't make any sense that you would be in spiritual submission to the guy who's in charge of the grounds of the church. What? What? It, it, it troubles me when we conflate these things that because we work for a church organization, we think that there's some sort of ordained anointing that flows through the org chart. Oh, I'm an accountant that works for a church and I have a boss who's the CFO for the church. That's fine. Now, what if he tells you, I don't know, you need to spend more time fasting? You're like, uh, didn't I do my work on time last week? Okay, I, I don't think I'm in spiritual submission to you. So I think we have to, I think we have to separate those things. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's all good. I, I'll be the voice that says, um, because I run with a fair number of dudes lately who are kind of saying. You know, I'm just gonna do church at home with my family. Oh yeah, and um, and I think for most Americans, you will end up weird associating whether it's whether it's in a house church or whether it's in a formal church organization. I think if you're being obedient to the Lord, most of you will end up uh, in a regular gathering. That's not just oh, whenever I feel the Spirit move, I call a meeting. But we gather at this time on this day, and we teach the word, we worship together, we pray together. I think it's very convenient for us that, especially in places like Salt Lake City, Utah, where it's, it's pretty hard to just bump into Christians, um, it's very convenient that there are organizations that are doing sure. this. Um, and I feel, and I always have to some degree since I've lived here, felt really good about giving money to the people who are spending their time to make these these meetings happen on the regular and to teach. Um, so 
uh, I'll be the voice that is in favor. And, and you know me in, in high school, I was probably about as anti-church house as they came because I had this discipler who's kind of leading me in that direction. Yeah. But I think I'm just pretty, pretty convinced that the norm for the American Christian right now is going to be either to be submitted to a community in house church or in some bigger church organization. You're at serious risk of self-deception if you're just doing it on your own or doing something super informal. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just think you better be really uh, introspective about that because it's it's easy to jump from uh, I'm looking for my, my people and my personal elders to I, I am actually submitted to no one. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't, I don't have that type of church community and I'm, I'm disobeying the command to regularly gather. Yeah, that's true. That's why I, um, to, to go back to something I said at the beginning, we, I think we can practice that muscle. If you are a loner or you, or you're not in any thick community with anybody, I think we can practice using that muscle by submitting ourselves to the people around us. I remember something I always used to tell, uh, single guys, when I spent time with college guys and guys who were just out of college, um, I would encourage everybody, don't live alone. Live with a bunch of dudes where you have to accommodate other personalities. You have to clean up the messes of the other guys, et cetera. Why do that? Because you're going to be married someday. And so I don't want you to get used to living in your own apartment. Everything works on my schedule just the way that I want it to. The milk is always where I put it. The toothpaste is always where I like it. You, I want you to have be in the practice of accommodating other people so that you'll be a more gracious husband because that's where you want to end up. Similarly, I would say if we want to be moving towards thick communities where we're in submission, in co-submission. I mean, that's the... the um, Ephesians 5, the passage about husbands and wives, the, the first kind of king verse of that section, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's just a rule about being a believer. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into, now wives do it this way, now husbands do it this way. But the rule, even outside of marriage, is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if you want to learn how to strengthen that muscle, as I said, go to a couple of guys around you and say, I want you to start looking into my life. And you could even say, I, I have said this many times, I have a problem with authority. Th this is a problem that I have in my life. So I'm trying to exercise the muscle of having some guys look into my life. Would you would you correct something if you, if you see it in me? I, I think I could probably use that. And, and you can get... <laughs> A healthy little on-ramp into a healthy relationship with elders and submitting. And maybe if you can submit well to leadership, maybe the Lord might call you into leadership as well someday. So I, I think that's about where we can leave it for today. I, I want us to get into um, Matthew 18 soon enough and talk about the actual life-on-life -life correction. And then we'll we'll get back to financial things or on our schedule, but we're, we're doing a little a little cul-de-sac into home life and home leadership right now. Any last thoughts, Mark? No, I, I wanted to say I hope that the audience has enjoyed the rich, uh, full-spectrum tones of the new and improved Abraham's Wallet audio experience. <laughs> 
oh, if you're I'm listening sure. to this on some cheap running headphones, I would just say maybe go home and give it a second listen on your Bose noise cancelers or something like that. Because uh, we we've invested a little in upgrading the audio quality. Oh, I. <laughs> And 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 forgive us, please, if Mark is saying these things and you think it sounds just the same because we have yet to edit this and we don't know if it's going to sound well, wonderful or not, but we sure hope so. You could so. be listening to just the backup audio through the Zoom channel and then it's going to sound worse than normal. And that most likely this whole section will oh, have boy. been cut out if that's the case. I guess it probably would be. So I guess we can say, because we have the luxury of reviewing before we send it out, I guess we can say enjoy this much higher quality, higher fidelity, richness of tone, as Mark says. Yes. and That's our gift to you. All right. So if people have hung in with us this long, I hope... Uh, elders and integrating with church life is as interesting to you as it is to us um anyways i bless you in and how you're doing that in your home and we will continue this discussion next week so for abraham's wallet i'm stephen manuel and i'm mark parrott